Hi, my name is David Burka. My name is Neil Patrick Harris. And you are listening to Beyond the Plate with Kathy. I, I think it's important to not just write checks and show up at dinners, but to actually know what you're caring about and why. Season three of Beyond the Plate is presented by Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Hey everyone, this is Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, a podcast where I sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey with food and their passion for giving back. Every episode we share inspiring stories of what it means to be in today's hospitality industry. This season we're welcoming a group of celebrities that have a connection to the world of food. Whether they own a restaurant, host a food show, have a cookbook, or simply give back through food, we're excited to have them join us on Beyond the Plate. Season three of Beyond the Plate is made possible with the help of our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Martin's was founded in the heart of Pennsylvania Dutch country in 1955. Their products have no artificial colors or sweeteners, and they use non-GMO sourced ingredients. Martin's Potato Rolls are the number one branded hamburger bun in America, and as I like to say, they can make almost any burger taste better. And in episode one, when I asked Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka the key to a good burger... You'll just have to listen to the episode to find out what they say. But here's what I love about Martins. Their mission encompasses more than just baking great bread and buns and rolls. They believe in giving back to their community and beyond. Through volunteering time and donating resources, they support hundreds of charitable organizations such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others that provide sustenance and comfort to people in need both close to their baking facilities and abroad. To hear more about Martin's, check out Season 2, Episode 13 of the podcast. And side note, a big round of applause to President of Martin's Famous Potato Rolls, Jim Martin, because just this past year, Jim was recognized as the 2018 Business Person of the Year by the Greater Chambersburg Chamber of Commerce. This award is given annually by the Chamber to recognize one leader in the community for their business experience, exceptional accomplishments, community involvement, and contribution to the economic growth and development of the area. To learn more about Martins, please visit their website at potatoroles.com or follow them on social media at potatoroles. Martins, we thank you. All right, back to it. For this episode, we sat with Neil Patrick Harris and his husband, Chef David Burka. All right, before I get going, I want to say I had such a blast talking to Neil and David for this episode. They're two of the nicest guys I've ever spoke with. They're super kind, and it's really never easy to line up schedules for two people of this nature. So big thank you to them both. We hear some really funny stories in this episode. Guilty pleasure foods from Neil Patrick Harris. We hear about Elton John playing at their wedding. And we hear about some big plans for the Burger Bash. Yep, they are this year's hosts of the Burger Bash at the 18th Annual Food Network and Cooking Channel South Beach Wine and Food Festival, which is held later this month on Friday, February 22nd. Really quick sidebar about the festival. All proceeds from this festival help educate the future leaders of the hospitality industry by benefiting the Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Florida International University. I am an alumni of that school, and it's a fantastic school, so I'm happy to give it some love. This year's Burger Bashers, about 40 chefs will be competing. I think that's the most they've ever had, including the Heineken Light People's Choice Award and the first ever Best Supporting Side Dish Award. 
chosen by David and Neil. The whole festival takes place from February 20th to the 24th and tickets are on sale now. So go to sobewff.org. That's S-O-B-E-W-F-F.org. Okie dokie. Formal bios for you. Neil Patrick Harris is a five-time Emmy Award winner for his role as host of the 63rd, 65th, 66th, and 67th annual Tony Awards and his guest starring role on Glee. He also served as host and producer of the 61st and 65th Primetime Emmy Awards. He served as the host of the 87th Annual Academy Awards in 2015. He was named one of the 2008 Entertainers of the Year by Entertainment Weekly and was included on Time Magazine's 2010 Time 100 list, an annual list of the world's leading thinkers, leaders, artists, and heroes. He's been in some amazing TV shows and Broadway shows, and if that weren't enough, he's done some incredible voiceover work as well. All righty. David Burka. He's a chef. Cater, award-winning actor who will soon release his first cookbook, Life is a Party. This book is a spinoff from his Food Network special, Life's a Party with David Burka. The book will showcase his expertise in preparing delicious recipes and celebrating a variety of occasions with guests. Burka earned a degree from the University of Michigan and later went on to study and train at Le Cordon Bleu Cooking School. He's a firm believer in sustainable food fresh from the farmer's market butcher, or garden to the table. And he's trained with some great chefs in New York City and beyond and has prepared meals for some of Hollywood's elite, such as Zac Efron, Vanessa Hudgens, Sarah Silverman, Elton John, Katy Perry, and on and on and on. Neil and David reside in Manhattan with their twin children. And yes, as a father of newborn twins, I definitely had some questions for them. Anyway, anyway, anyway... I will stop there, but please enjoy this conversation as we go beyond the plate with Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka. Hello? David. Hello. How are you? Good, good. Let me get Neil. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Hello. Hi, guys. And hi. I'm extremely excited to talk to you both because I know the love of food and the love of social impact and giving back, which a lot of what we're recording this podcast for is about. But full <laughs> disclosure, first and foremost, I have newborn twins at home. Oh, my oh, God. Get out. Wow. Yes. How old? They're four Boy and a half months. One of each. Holy moly. Wow. You're, you're in for it, man. Uh, I know. So if you hear a nanny for singing it. Frozen in the background or something, you know, she's just trying to keep them quiet. So Been there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. So are your twins good eaters? They're incredibly good eaters. Really? Ridiculously good eaters. Yeah. I love it. They so, eat everything. I mean, David, my, I, David they, uh, let me crow about you, honey. David, um, <laughs> David has went out of his way when the kids were born. Uh, they were born in a town called Paradise, California, hmm. which uh, recently was uh, was part of the fire that yeah. happened. The hotel that they were born in is actually no more. Oh. But um, we brought them to uh, Sherman, Oaks, Sherman Oaks, California, where we were living in you know, you, you care most about their health and well-being. And since we lived in Southern California and there were farmer's markets on every every weekend in various places, David understandably took it upon himself 
to not just go get canned baby food from Costco, but to make uh, make food for them that was testing their palates in a way that was okay for newborns, but that was still fresh and filled with vitamins wow. and nutrients. And so, and and David, when I'm done pontificating, can talk about a book that um, that helped him, like uh, with the ideology behind it. But because of that, I think our kids always had a, 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 a depth of flavor to their palates. They knew what curry tasted like. They knew what spice was. They knew what delicious, fresh sushi protein felt like on their tongue, in their mouth, in their body. And so because of that, they loved all kinds of uh, shellfish, oysters, lobster, salmon roe, sushi, tuna. I mean, it's really their favorite foods. And it's only the times when their friends decide they're they're going to be vegetarians. And then our kid says, (laughs) Harper will say, I think I'm going to be a vegetarian that we, we quietly clutch our pearls. And then we say, okay, uh, well, uh, if that's what you choose to do, by all means. And then after about two days, she'll say, Oh, I, I really miss meat. (laughs) <laughs> so we're glad we're glad to have her back. I love this. I'm taking notes for sure. So when you guys are eating, who calls the shots? Are they calling the shots of what they want to eat, or are you guys saying like this is what's for dinner? Oh, it's a little bit. It's a little bit of both. I try and uh, open their palates to as many different kinds of cuisines as possible. But you know, anytime I ask them what they want for dinner, it's always sushi. <laughs> always sushi. <laughs> And that gets a little expensive, unfortunately. Sure. <laughs> but, um, but you know, you know, I try to make it be uh, with protein, fish one day, poultry one day, meat one day. So we're all sort of, you know, it's not all the same all the time. I love this. But I, I go for a wide variety of, of, of eating as much color and cuisine and different kinds of food as, as possible. You know, this book, this book really helped me out. It's by Matthew Amster Burton. And it sort of, you know, it it was a father's take on him. It's called Hungry Monkey. And uh, it's, it was a a book he wrote about his journey within when his daughter was born, having that fear that all she's going to want to eat was chicken nuggets and grilled cheeses. Yeah. And he sort of, he does a lot of research on, what makes picky eaters and how, how to train your kids to eat well. And, and it really came down to not being afraid to give these bold flavors to kids at, at young ages. Pair these vegetables with different kinds of spices, apples with cinnamon, carrots with curry, peas with mint, all these kinds of herbs and spices that, that kids don't necessarily, when they start eating regular solid foods, they're not used to. Yeah. And I think that's the key to getting kids to eat better, wider, more variety. I think the kids eat bland foods these days because they're being trained to eat bland foods. Yeah, absolutely. And so as soon as they taste a chicken McNugget, then that's all they want. That's right. Yeah. David, is there is there a bite or a meal that you remember? I guess as Oprah would say, like an aha moment for you where you were like, whoa, whether you were five or 15, that changed your relationship with food? You know, I, there wasn't any changing of relationship. I mean, I, I, um, my parents, we ate one meal and there was not 
there was no placating. And I think that's a big thing that people, parents do these days. They placate their kids and they just, they make another meal for their children. There was none of that growing up. We ate what, what was my on the table. Ate. There right. was no other, you know, she would, she would get the food that she was eating and grind it up into, and, and mash it up into baby and uh, so I could eat it. And that was it. Yeah. I mean, there, so there was no aha moment. We always had a big value, uh, big value to food in our, our family. And there was always centered around food and drink and party atmosphere. Um, that, that was a really important thing in our family. We all lived within about 45 minutes away from each other. So we had a party every single weekend and we saw my cousins and aunts and uncles at least once a week. Yeah. And Neil, you grew up in New Mexico. Hey David, I have a, I have a follow-up question. Bring I'm it. Yeah. curious about this too. So maybe when you were a kid, you didn't have any kind of aha moment with food, but what, how did you go from eating pierogies and potluck meals on weekends and stuff, going to college and eating what you could based on your budget how did, at what point did, did you taste a meal or be served a meal or something that really changed your game? I think when I started, when I started making money of my own, I remember being on tour with uh, the National Tour of Beauty and the Beast and I started making, you know, money for myself. So I was able to spend the, you know, the money that I had on experiences and going out to dinner and, and going around, you know, eating in Boston and eating in Chicago. I, mm. I was, those were my sit down places. So, I mean, the Boston has amazing food and so does Chicago. So I was able to try these great restaurants and that, I think that's what opened my mind to, oh, wow, there's more, there's more to life than just, you know, going to, to going to Denny's for, for, uh, for dinner, you know, I mean, that was, it, it really opened my mind to what fine dining could be. And then once I got to New once I got back to New York after the tour and having money with making commercials and, and being able to support myself with, uh, with the money that I was making as an actor, I ended up realizing that the playground of New York dining is beyond like I was able to go down to Chinatown and going uh, going over to the you know going to Brooklyn and having all of the really great Jewish food and 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 being able to feed my palate with all the different kinds of amazing I lived in the Lower East Side and I used to frequent 6th Street for Indian food every you know every single week so it was uh it was a playground for me to sort of open my brain and my mind and and my my palate to the wonders of New York dining. That's cool. Do you guys have a favorite favorite spot? I mean, I'm sure there's a thousand, but a favorite spot in New York, like your current go-to? You need to go a little more specific on that cuz I mean, we <sighs> I could give you a I could give you a favorite spot for pizza, for uh, for Italian, for uh, I can give Chinese, you two. Japanese, for I can give you two. I'll take My two. My favorite go-to spot for small plates right now, I think, is obviously Gatto, which is not yeah super new, but I just think dish for dish, everything that arrives is just delicious and well seasoned and well proportioned and and always a hit. So you can just that's the meal that David and I go to where we we never order. Yeah. We just say, bring us out stuff. Yeah. It's and good it's with always, a good group of people. Yeah. Because everyone gets to share. Courage is good. Yeah. And then my favorite Italian food in the cities, 
this restaurant called Carbone. Yeah, delicious. Oh, so good. That's so delicious. And it's when we first sat, yeah, we first sat down, and the waiter was doing that. It almost felt like I was at a Disney theme park. Sure. Very Italian. <laughs> and hey, hey, what are you doing? Let me sit down next to you. Hey, who, who are these bambinos? Yeah. What are their names? You guys want to draw me a picture? And I thought, okay, it's going to be like the ninja restaurant. <laughs> and instead, the food was just dish for dish. Yep. So good. The garlic bread is sickening in those. Bolognese is rad, and the, the best thing was fantastic. All of it. Well, the best thing about that is that it's not, it's not it's an Italian restaurant without any true authentic Italian dishes. <laughs> it's all American Italian dishes. So there oh, is wow. not one single authentic Italian uh, dish on that menu. It's all Americanized versions: steak Diane's and oysters Rockefeller, and and the Parmesans, and you know but the they do it with the. They do it with such pride. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, it's 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 I coming agree. up into the 1940s of that sort of you know American Love Italian that. rat packy sort of world. It's 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 an experience. And yeah. If you can get a table, if you're lucky enough to right? get a reservation, seriously, <laughs> then then you'll have a fantastic uh, that. By the way, Dave, it's spoken like a true food professional. When someone asks my favorite place in New York, I'm like, all right, give me an area type of cuisine. Like, what do you want here? So I just did what my pet peeve is. But Neil, thank you for jumping in and answering it. (laughs) I just like to eat. But Neil, you grew up in New Mexico and your parents ran a restaurant. Did you work in it at all? Uh, I didn't. uh, When I grew up, uh, my parents were both attorneys. And then they sort of decided they were they were exhausted by the idea of fighting for what was right and then losing legal battles because of some judge that was having a bad day. Yeah. So they went a the simpler, less complicated route and uh, opened up a breakfast lunch restaurant called Parenta. Sorry. I worked in restaurants when I was younger. I worked in a Schlotsky sandwich shop at a, at a place called Incredible with two M's. Oh. In. <laughs> and uh, so I saw how a lot of stuff was done and made, but it was really, it took my husband to, to expand my palate. I'm a creature of habit, so, so when I find a dish that I like at a restaurant, it's not that I'm, I'm afraid of of ordering anything different. It's just that I tend to eat for sustenance and less for uh, enjoyment. At least I did before I met David and that's sort of changed the game. Yeah. Is there a dish that David cooks for you, like a repeat dish that you ask him to cook for you? David's bolognese is off the chains. He makes (laughs) big batches of it and then freezes it so you can have it often. His his way around a ribeye steak is pretty spectacular. He usually... He knows exactly how to cook it, and we tend to use Pat Lafrida's uh, meat, which is just delicious, and then he'll add a balsamic glaze or something on top of it, and you could pretty much just eat every morsel of that fat bone. (laughs) (laughs) So do you you know your way around the kitchen at all, Neil? Is there a specialty that you whip up for David here and there? Um, No, no. I'm, I, I get, I get to, uh, perform in a lot of different ways in my day. <laughs> and I get the, 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 the spotlight is shown on me with regularity and 
I don't have anything to prove in the kitchen. David, <laughs> David's in, innately very gifted at time management, at knowing when things are uh, effective and delicious. And I'm, 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 I'm just starting to dabble with the instant pot because I feel like I could, I could, I could take a night a week and make something that's uh, crock potty delicious. Yeah. But I've only made basmati rice once and I kind of screwed it up. So <laughs> No, you didn't. It was great. It was great. Uh, it took me a minute. So David, you have done plenty of acting, but when did you get that itch for the culinary world? Like it you, sort you, of you, fell into my lap. You know, uh, I was acting and I was living in New York and LA and, and, and I wasn't really having the best time of it. Uh, living in LA, it's, it's hard as an actor in New York, you tend to work a lot more with, with uh, workshops and showcases and, and you get to do readings and, you know, you're, if you're doing a show, you're doing a show every day, eight shows a week, you know? So, um, in LA, you're lucky to get a guest spot here and there, and there's a lot of in between times. So I, I was I was having a hard time at it, and my mom ended up uh, going into the hospital and having to like get leukemia. She got leukemia, so she was getting uh, chemo, and she ended up dying within 20 days of her admittance Ooh, to the hospital. I'm sorry, about so that. I just thought, oh my god, yeah, this was about 11 years ago, um, and I just thought to myself, I can't. I can't be living in LA and, and being rejected by casting directors and having to mourn the loss of my mom and being depressed at that. I, I need to do, I need to take a full turn and do something completely different. So what did I always like to do? What is another chat? What is another sort of skill that I like that makes me happy? Uh, uh, it was cooking. And whenever I got sad or stressed or upset, I would make a homemade stock from, from scratch or, you know, homemade brownies or cook dinner for all my friends. And, and that was something that really brought me a lot of joy. So I thought, you know what, Let, I'm going to go, uh, to culinary school and, and who knows what's going to happen with it. I'll always have that skill for cooking for my family. Cause I know that I'll have a family down the line. And uh, I admitted it to La Cordon Bleu and, and, and took uh, three years to complete. And what's so strange is that we found out when my mom died, she left me uh, some amount of money uh, in her will that my dad didn't know about. And, and the exact sum that she, she saved for me, that she left for me, was the exact sum of what culinary school cost. Wow, I got the chills. It was strange. Wow. It was strange. It was this weird thing from the heavens, from a kiz, uh, kismet sort of situation that it just had to be. So uh, after I graduated, I thought, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen? And I ended up doing an internship with Mario Batali at Babo. And things started just falling down from the sky for me. I got to work with Kat Cora and got to work with Thomas Keller and, and of course, Mario. And, and I opened up a catering company in Los Angeles. And, you know, I did the big Hollywood parties for a lot of celebrities. A great, sort of great name, off. by the way, of the catering company you had. <laughs> well, my, the, my partner in the, in, the, in the catering company was called, her name was Molly. So Got it was it. M and D, so Gourmet MD. And our, our symbol was to a, a fork and a spoon wrapped around knives. So it looked like a medical staff. Um, yeah, so, that, and so it sort of just came to be. And, and, and when I got to New York, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to get back into a Broadway show. 
within a month, I got into a Broadway show and realized I can't be in a Broadway show. I've got kids and I, I'm missing all of this. So I started, I, I became, I, I started cooking more and more again and started working on a book. So that's where, what brings me to now. Got so, it. And we, I want to talk about that in two seconds, but switching gears briefly to the Food Network and Cooking Channel, South Beach Wine and Food Festival, to yeah. be very honest and sincere, I'm a Florida International University alumni. Um, I went to school there. They're one of the hosts of that event. So I truly want to thank you on behalf of all the student volunteers, which is how I started and how I met Rachel Ray. Oh, cool. And and there's been thousands of volunteers. So thank you for what you all are doing for the festival because it's raised over $28 million for the school. It's an incredible thing. But Fantastic. So, Neil, you've hosted the Tonys four times, the Emmys, the Academy Awards. But let's arguably one would say that... Um, you both have one of the biggest hosting duties in all of the land coming up, like huge, <laughs> daunting host of the South Beach Wine and Food Festival Burger Bash. I mean, come on, like the pre-production, I mean, the training, the run throughs. How in God's name do you prepare for something of this magnitude? <laughs> How's that for yeah. build up? I, I will say that, um, that hosting the Burger Bash will be much more masochistic than hosting the Oscars. <laughs> um, David and I have, have had the great pleasure, I say, uh, with an up inflection, like it's a question of being judges of the New York's uh, burger bash that, that Madam Rachel Ray was the host of. And we would, we would wake up. I mean, we'd have day, night sweats, feet sweats. <laughs> we each had to eat seven or eight burgers and judge them and pretend like our palates were fresh every time and, and get shouted at by chefs. And now I don't know why we're, we're extending that to the point where we're literally now are having to go Host. and, and, and have, we have to eat every burger. Yeah. We have to taste every, we have 50. to eat 40 burgers. It's insane. 50 this year. Is it really? So I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, if I throw up, is that, I mean, that seems appropriate, that's disrespectful. <laughs> if I spit out, that's uh, unacceptable. So, uh, it's well, Rachel said, I said to Rachel, I said to, I just did Rachel's show a couple, uh, uh, last week actually, yeah. and she said, you know what? It's not as bad because you guys, you can do 25 and 25. You guys can spit it, uh, you know, you split it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you do it, Rachel? I'm she, here. She just takes a little bite. She just takes a little bite out of everyone. Here's my strategy: tapeworms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm hoping I'm hoping to go like pure vegan or something before you know, just get a clean out and detox out of oh. all the the meat that I can beforehand. What about post burger bash? I mean, I feel like I eat kale for a week after. What do you have like a, a routine to work yeah. off all the burgers or what? I'm just gonna lay out on the beach <laughs> in in like a small. <laughs> revealing short bikini so yeah i don't know quite a, a trunk of yeah. some sort <laughs> and just have everyone appreciate my my distension yeah. appreciate my 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 additional salt intake my bloat i'm gonna i'm gonna own my bloat after the, after own, the burger. yeah own the bloat that's a good shirt so I, I think that's all you can do yeah, yeah. That's funny. David, what do you, do you, do you believe there's a key to a good burger when you, when you make one? 
you know what? I cooked 13 burgers last night for the Super Bowl party, made to order burgers. I was a short order cook for last night's burger bash, burger bash, excuse me, a Super Bowl. <laughs> it basically and a burger you know bash. What? I really, yeah, it was, it was, you should see that the, the, the trough of grease that was on my flap top in the morning. It was, <laughs> it was not cute, but I really think there is, you know, you, you get a, you have to get really great meat, of course. And, you know, you salt and pepper it and then you just, you slap it onto a flat top. Um, I don't like, I don't like doing burgers on a grill because all of the good grease drips down Sure. and you sure. don't get that crust. I think there's that. So that the crust that comes with a flat top, uh, with the, with the, the mushy gooeyness inside and then the crust on top of the burger. I think that's so important. Agreed. And I just slap it down and then I leave it there for, for a pretty long time. And then let American cheese. I always use American cheese because mm. I think it just melts so well and it's delicious. And I, and I go for uh, a nice sort of a cheapish potato bun because I don't like, you know, if the bread gets too fancy, I'm it, it with takes you. over for with the with the burger. I think it needs to be simple. It needs to have you know lettuce, lettuce tomato, ketchup. Uh, big fan of that. Neil likes to put green chili on his. I like yeah, bacon on mine. The New Mexico. So, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, you know, and just it's regular cheeseburgers, good too. You know, I mean, that's. It's, I think it's just simple. I think when when we when we judge the burger bash when people are coming in with you know, kimchi on the burger or it's a barbecue sauce with an onion ring. It's just, it makes it more difficult. Just make it simple. I'm with you. No I'm one with needs you. bread on a burger as the bun. No one needs that. <laughs> no I mean, every once in a while, a patty melt is good, but this is a burger bash. You're doing a burger. Yeah. It's not the best We need a melt, tempura, you know? gold-flecked caviar burger or something like that. No, okay. <laughs> no. So David, you, you have a book coming out. Life is a party, I deliciously do. doable recipes to make every day a celebration. I want to know what makes someone the life of a party. Mm, that's a very <laughs> good question. So what makes someone life, uh, the life of a party? I, I would say someone who doesn't take it for granted, take the little moments of life for granted and, and, and keep, uh, and enjoy, uh, and celebrate life for what it is. I mean, I think those, that's what my book's about is taking everyday sort of occasions and, and making them special and really enjoying the people around you and enjoying what you have and being able to work together and delegate things for people and being able to celebrate the little things, not just the big, you know, Christmas and, and Easter and Halloween holidays. Sure. Sure. Can I chime in? Yeah. yeah. I, I think that what makes the definition of a party is inclusion. I think if people come to an event and only one single person handles everything, then those people just feel passive. And so what David's really great at doing is including people within, within the event. So then if it's for, if it's for 50 people or if it's for, eight people, everyone feels like they're kind of a part of it, experiential in some way. I love Providing that. something, helping with uh, cleaning up or preparation or, or tasks or games, whatever it might be. I think making 
a party come to life requires more than just the host. Um, and I think, you know, I think David does that really well. And I think also, I think also the ability to go with the flow, both good and bad in an improvisational way is super helpful. No one likes that, that tense, terse, stressed feeling of Thanksgiving with your family where you're afraid to say the right thing and you have to compliment the turkey regardless of its taste. <laughs> and so I think if you have a host or what, what I think you can glean from the book is that if things go wrong, that's great. And if, and being honest and transparent and, and creating a, a vibe where the party is going to be fun, whether every single element is perfectly executed, I think that's an effective lesson. I love that. I love True. that. So this is a, a semi-segue. You guys are famously friends with the great Elton John. He performed at the wedding. Same with me. He performed yep. at my wedding and my bar mitzvah. Um, just kidding. <laughs> but he's also known for his foundation and the work they do. And you guys have yeah. made giving back a priority, an incredible priority from the little that I saw about it. An incredible amount, I should say. Why have you made this a priority? Why is that? With just in terms of his his organization or other organization? Mm -hmm. I think of oh, with us. Oh, with you too. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I would say we, we cared about it some. Um, and I, I think it was one of the lessons that we learned from our, our tenure in Southern California. Uh, it, I, we both found that lifestyle to be very passive and, and, and temperate and, and, uh, and fine. But you kind of had to get in your car and drive everywhere that you needed to go. And I think that because of, because of that dynamic, everyone's kind of out for themselves in a way that, that I don't see when I'm in New York. So moving to New York, I felt like we moved into the actual world and we had to look around and see and be on a subway train with and be yelled at people that weren't like us. And, and you have to, you, you're sort of forced to recognize that there's a larger there's a larger story that's told, not just your singular story. And that's it. So that's, a, that's aside. We moved to New York, but also when you're a parent and you have kids, you become very, very, you have a very heightened awareness of, of how you want to leave the world for your kids and how you hope that the world will be a better place when they're your age and that, when they're your age, you'll be able to see their children and hope that they pay it forward. And so I just think as we age and as we get a bigger, larger sense of community, because we live in an actual community, then I think it's just, it only makes sense to represent to our kids and to ourselves in a way that, that isn't just, uh, imbibing isn't just eating foods that we like, but is also is, is, is creating things that other people can benefit from, whether financially or artistically or, or culinarily. I love it. Very well said. Do, do you teach your kids about giving back yet? I tend to take the kids, Neil and I both, 
uh, it's been really important for us to to show them that there are ways to give back and, and even they they're doing it on their own great which is so great uh we do a lot of uh stuff with god's love we deliver so we deliver food to the projects up here in harlem where we live and we also go down to the food bank and we help out with the pantry there or, or we serve food to people who uh, can't afford a, a meal. Uh, also, you know, they, they just did, they made a bunch of rainbow loom bracelets yesterday and part of their, part of their proceeds that they made from all the money they made from our friends, they were giving to uh, the, New York Kennel Association. Amazing. Yeah, our kids are super fortunate. And in, in that conversation, you just want to, I mean, David and I want to make sure that our kids have, have some sort of perspective. We brag about how, how awesome it is that their favorite cuisine is, is Japanese food and that they love sushi more than anything. But that's a nice, that's a nice situation. I think sure. they also in that, in that same conversation need to be made aware that there are some people that don't have the opportunity to even get to a restaurant to sit at a sushi bar. Yeah. And so, uh, New York is a really awesome place to be able to show them that it's yeah. quite, uh, quite evident everywhere. Thank you. all. thank you both for sharing all of that. I appreciate it. But you've given your, your time or money or voice to a lot of organizations that I counted. How do you choose and why do you choose the ones, how do you choose the ones that matter to you? I look at what table they're going to sit us at at the, at the gala benefit <laughs> and if it, and if it's center it's like center front center yeah. center front you're like I'll, I'll give it my I, all I, I had i had that direction you're yeah. like four, table 43 in the back so nah no thanks nope sorry nope. pass nope Too can't busy. give anything to that can't you know I, I really feel like a lot of these things have sort of found us i don't think we That's just searched out for necessarily the things that we really wanted to give to. I, I think that we, we became good friends with, with Elton and that was a, a, a no brainer to, to give to his uh, world. Also God's love we deliver. I've gotten in the food bank world because of Lee Schrager. I think they might've even reached out to us and we just started working with them. We really loved the work they were doing. And because we are a couple that, that don't feel like we have a very important cause that we need to bring awareness to, that we need to bring to the forefront. At least we don't yet. And I, that's, I think that's a good thing. We haven't, you know, had uh, traumatic experiences that, that, that deem us nece- deem it necessary for us to focus on a singular thing. But through that, then we're kind of available to, look into the authenticity of an organization and see what they actually do versus what they say they do. And we don't really have a singular thing that we need a singular voice that we need to have heard. So we're, we're in a unique capacity to be able to sort of vet things that we think are interesting and find out where the money's going. And so when you look at Elton John Aid foundation that David and Elton do so masterfully, you know, they're very boastful about the money that is, that goes directly to the causes. When you look at God's will we deliver, I mean, we've, we've prepared meals. Our kids have prepared meals and we've served those meals and you meet the people. So I, I think it's important to not just write checks and show up at dinners, but to actually know what you're caring about and why. Yeah. Very well put. Very well put. Thank you. Um, 
I'm going to lighten it up really quick. I'm going to do a quick speed round and then close it out with a question for you both. Oh boy. Okay. All righty. <laughs> Number one is for Neil. What did you have for dinner last night? Oh, last night. Okay. I had a green chili cheeseburger with American cheese and hatch green chili, um, t- uh, tomato, lettuce, ketchup, and mayo. Then, oh, and I also had a tortilla chips with chili con queso all over it and homemade guacamole and a side of crudite with the green goddess dip. And then a second round, I had a hot dog, uh, a palo frito hot dog with um, cheese and uh, ketchup and green chili. I don't recommend the ketchup with the green chili. It kind of uh, cut that out. And then um, for dessert, I had a sugar cookie in the shape of Tom Brady's uh, jersey. Speed round, go. Amazing. David, name a smell in the kitchen you love. Stock simmering. Mm. Neil, name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Um, steamed broccoli. <laughs> David, what's your favorite food show on TV? Uh, chef's table. Neil, what's oh. your food guilty pleasure? <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups. I can't. I can't go a day or night without. I. I'm not joking. That is a it's, it's a real problem. Really? He's without addicted. eating, without yeah. eating. I think I'm. I'm honestly saying a, a mean number of six. Yeah, full, they were all got. Did you full size Reese's peanut butter? Not the little tiny, stupid right. little ones. I was going to ask. Not the ones with gold. No, the real ones, the regular ones. Brown wrapper. Got oh, it. Got it. Uh, did you eat all the? Did you refill <laughs> that that big bin of them? Next question. Next question. Oh no, I'm getting into chores here on this podcast soon. David, pet peeve when dining out. Someone on their cell phone. Neil, first thing you crave in the morning. Cup of coffee. And David, the last thing you crave before bed? Uh, uh, I'm trying to do this, this uh, internet mitten fasting, so any type oh, of food. Got salty it. Salty or sweet, uh, popcorn to chocolate. That's so weird. I thought it was going to be a kiss from your husband, but uh, I guess that one works too. I don't uh, have to fast on you- that, baby. <laughs> Hello. Um, all right, let's close it out. I have two questions. You could each take one. I want to know... Um, rules to social media. I feel like celebs, uh, get in trouble with it. So I, I want a rule from someone and then I want to hear one Instagram handle that you both like to follow. Okay. I'll start. And then, uh, and then David, you can, um, you can uh, edit. I think that you shouldn't care so much about how many likes or, uh, views, uh, any of your posts have. I think you should post content for the sake of posting it and be very indifferent about about its traction or the comments within. It makes it it, it provides a purity because too many people, including our children, who started an Instagram account called Gidgetgram, of pictures of our dog, literally take pictures yeah. for an hour, put up the picture, and then walk around for the next hour saying. Can you believe it? It got 47 likes in uh, 30 seconds. I can't stand and it. And I don't even know what that means. Right. Yeah, yeah it's scary. What about a site that uh, a site that we frequent or a handle that uh, we frequent? Um, like a, like a if you're on Instagram, like if you if you scroll through Instagram, a favorite Instagram person or handle that you like to follow. Oh, I love I love Colossal. Colossal. Colossal's at, great. at Colossal. It's an art, it's an art, uh, 
uh, app uh, art. Uh, no, it's a blog. It's a blog about this this guy named uh, first name of Christopher. It's called thecolossal.com. Uh, no, it's called the Colossal, but it's at colossal.com, and he just curates amazing artists and and talks about them, and then links to them and shows amazing stuff that they do, graffiti artists or or contemporary artists or sculpture or whatever. It's really I fun. also like. Uh, I also really like. This is really wrong, but this woman named uh, she does this thing called pop, it's called Puppy Codes. Puppy Codes is great. Poppy code. It's the most. It's the most outlandish, craziest content. Uh, it, it, it just makes you laugh. I it's can't wait to wild. follow both of them. Thank you, um, guys. Thank you so much. I see, really, really, and truly do appreciate your time. Thanks for hopping on the phone with me. Our you pleasure. Now I'm starving. So thanks for that, <laughs> guys. Thank you so much. Have a blast at the Burger Bash. Don't take thanks. more than. Will we see you there? Uh, I, w- I will not be there this year. We'll be back next year, oh, unfortunately. But right. my advice is don't take more than one bite of a burger unless it's the best thing uh, you've yeah. ever tasted. Oh, yes, true. True, true, <laughs> true, true, true that. All, All right, guys. Have a good night. All Thank right, you. Thanks, Kathy. All the best. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Quote, I think it's important to not just write checks and show up to dinners, but to actually know what you're caring about and why. Thanks again to Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka. Join us next week when Beyond the Plate presents Just the Plate, a short segment where chefs describe a dish or a recipe that is meaningful to them. You can find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at OnCathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on Twitter at BT Plate Podcast, and we are on Facebook. And a big thank you to last season and again this season partner, formerly IL8 by Flavor Gallery and now called Beyond the Plate Tees. They supply all of our signature hats and t-shirts to our Beyond the Plate guests. And after teasing this throughout season two, it's now available to all of you. Check out beyondtheplatepodcast.com and click on apparel to get yours. This episode was produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yeaton, and Sean Petrosian. Big thank you to Andrew Glatt. And our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, a special shout out to my wife, Katie. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy. And remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.